A few weeks ago, several hundred people gathered on the island of Eve off the coast of France to begin a three-mile swim. And not just any swim. These swimmers were recreating a moment from literary history. Classics buffs may remember that in the Count of Monte Cristo, after being wrongfully imprisoned in the Chateau d'If, the titular Count swims to freedom after first Houdiniing his way out of a body bag. It's an impressive and memorable feat, and every summer since 1999, swimmers inspired by Dumas' hero have met to complete the Monte Cristo Challenge, Le Défi de Monte Cristo. Le Défi de Monte Cristo is a fun and unexpected case of a book moving readers to, well, move. After all, it's not a how-to or self-help tome, and a prison break followed by a long swim isn't exactly inevitable in most of our lives. And that's the thing about inspiration. We can't predict when or how it's going to strike. And when you read a lot of books, you have a lot of opportunities to be surprised. Hello and welcome to Annotated. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. On today's show, a look at some of the things people mean when they say books literally change their lives. This episode of Annotated is sponsored by The Guest Book by Sarah Blake. A Lifetime of Secrets, A History Untold. No. It is a simple word uttered on a summer porch in 1936. It will haunt Kitty Milton for the rest of her life, and its consequences will ripple through the Milton family for generations. Moving through three generations and back and forth in time, the guest book asks how we remember and what we choose to forget, and tells the story of a family and a country that buries its past in quiet until the present calls forth a reckoning. The guest book is on sale now and is the must-read book of summer from author Sarah Blake, who also wrote the best-selling novel The Postmistress. Read about three generations haunted by a dark family secret. Thanks again to The Guest Book by Sarah Blake for sponsoring this episode. The Defeat de Monte Cristo might take the cake for most dramatic athletic feat inspired by a work of literature. It's hard to compete with Edmund Dantes escaping from a body bag underwater, but it's certainly not the only remarkable example. Book or movie? I'm sorry? Which one are you, book or movie, their movie? Oh, uh, book. I am book. We're book two. You want sunscreen? No, I'm good. Are you just starting? Yes. Me too. So excited. I've been planning this for a year since my divorce. Since my mother died. And my divorce. And what about you? I Book or movie? Book. Book. That's Lauren Graham in the recent Netflix revival of Gilmore Girls. After a period of major personal upheaval, her character Lorelai Gilmore decides to take a page, literally, from Cheryl Strait's book, her best-selling memoir Wild came out in 2012, and hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Lorelai quickly discovers that she is far from alone. We started tracking individual through-hike permit requests because we do the permitting for the Forest Service. And in 2013, which is around the time Wild was taking off, we had 1,043 permits that year. And last year we had 4,997. This is Mark Larrabee of the Pacific Crest Trail Association describing the 500% increase in people setting out to hike the PCT each year over the last five years. I think Wild kind of captured the through-hiker idea, you know, going 2,650 miles from Canada to Mexico or from Mexico to Canada in five months. That's kind of a huge thing, you know, and it's an inspirational kind of walkabout. But honestly, it's still a small fraction of the number of people that are out there using the trail. We have way more people out there day hiking 
and doing a weekend backpack and doing a week long trip with their buddies, you know, and doing section hikes and trying to complete the whole trail one week at a time, year after year. Those numbers are incalculable. It's been dubbed the wild effect, but the impact extends well beyond the PCT's borders. It continues to gain popularity. The whole hiking idea has gained popularity across the country. All the big long-distance trails are seeing an increase in the numbers of people who want to walk across these vast landscapes. Larrabee suggests that it just isn't wild, the book or the movie, that has inspired people to lace up their boots and head into the wilderness. Bill Bryson's memoir of hiking the Appalachian Trail, A Walk in the Woods, may have something to do with it as well, and you can't discount the impact of social media. But wild was the first step. I think wild is still having an influence. It's a great story. It's still having an influence on how people view the trail and how people view themselves in being able to do the trail. So... What's it like to be one of the millions of people whose lives have been changed by a single book? Melissa Klug knows firsthand. So I have been a book lover from probably literally birth, right? My earliest memories are of the books that I loved. So when I think about my childhood, I didn't really play with dolls. I didn't have a lot of things that I loved except for books. In the middle of her career, Melissa successfully did what so many book lovers dream about. She got a job in publishing. But this isn't a story about how a book inspired her to work in books. In fact, she left her job in publishing several years ago to work in sales and marketing for a large corporation. And then, well... So what happened was, in 2017, I call it my garbage year. (laughs) You just have a year where it's... Everything is sideways, right? So I had just a lot of personal changes in my life. And and then in the end of the year, extremely unexpectedly, my company went through a merger. And so I found out that my job did not exist anymore. Thanks to a generous severance package, Melissa was able to take a few months off and really think about what she wanted to do next. And during that time, I decided that I just wanted to kind of be a wife and a mom for a while. And I looked around my house and I said, okay, I've been traveling nonstop for like 19 years. I looked around my house and I said, it's a disaster in here. What do you do when you're a book lover with some free time on your hands? You think about what to read. And maybe you remember a book you read in the past, but didn't totally click with at the time. So... I I remember that I had read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and I said, oh, you know what, I should probably like reread that and see if maybe I could use it to to help get my house in order. This is an absolute 100% true story. I could not find my copy of the book. So she bought a new copy of Marie Kondo's viral bestseller, and she got to work. And this time, there was, as the title promised, Life-Changing Magic. I bought it, and I read it, and I said, you know what, something about it just really clicked with me. Over the course of about three months, Melissa, along with her husband and their two daughters, faithfully implemented the decluttering techniques of the KonMari method, which, if you're not familiar, requires that you examine every object in your home and keep only those that spark joy. What I discovered during this process was a few things. One, it really changed the way that we consumed things in our house. So it made us much more thoughtful consumers because Once we started to say, what do we want to keep in our house? And the answer to that question was, it's about 50% of what we used to have in this house. Then you realize, wow, our pattern of consumption is insane and needs to change. And what I also realized was that I genuinely loved doing this. 
she found herself waking up every day excited about what to tackle next. As her time off rolled on, friends would ask about career plans. What was she going to do next? Sales? Marketing? Another big job at another big company? The answer she arrived at was a surprise to many, not the least of which was herself. The only thing that ever stuck in my head was, I really love doing this, and I love how much it's changed our life, and I want to help other people do this. As luck would have it, Marie Kondo was holding seminars at the time to certify people in her method. You know where this is heading. I went through the training seminar, and it's actually an extremely rigorous process to get certified. But I did all of it, and I realized that this was something that I could make a career out of. And so I became the third person in the state of Minnesota and the 179th person on the globe that was certified by Marie Kondo. After completing the training, Melissa started her business, Home by 11, on her birthday in 2018. Just over a year in, she's staying busier than she ever anticipated. It's just been an amazing journey for me. It changed my personal life. It also changed my professional life. And it's just this tiny little book that legitimately changed so many parts of my life. And I'm so appreciative of it. Pretty incredible, right? When a book that advertises itself as life-changing literally is? It is incredible. But even if you believe that every book you read leaves its mark... It's not like every time you sit down to read, you're ready to have your world rocked. The moments of inspiration, well, they work in mysterious ways. For our next guest, it began with an ending. So I was living in Boston. When I broke up with a long-term boyfriend, I moved into a house with about five other people. And they were all into the hobbies and things that I was always secretly into, but thought they were like too nerdy to really tell people about. This is Sarian Lehrer. She's working as the director of operations at an investment bank when one of her roommates gave her the gift of a lifetime by recommending a book. Right before the TV series Game of Thrones came out, she said, you have to read these books. They're fantastic. You'll love them. And we're going to all watch the TV series, so you should read the books first. So I said, great. Right off the bat, she noticed that food shows up all over the place in George R.R. Martin's novels. For a self-described history nut who has always been into cooking, it was a perfect storm. Chelsea and I were like, well, let's try and make the lemon cakes, which anybody who has read the books knows is a pretty repetitive item in the novel, the first one at least. So we, being nerds that we are, looked for an actual historical recipe that kind of matched what we thought the lemon cakes would be. After trying a few different lemon cake recipes with varying levels of success, Sarah Ann and Chelsea settled on one. And then, like so many people embarking on a new project in the early to mid-2000s, they told the internet. We started a blog that we hoped, like, our mothers would read. (laughs) From there, they worked their way through historical recipes for many of the dishes found in the Song of Ice and Fire series. We were posting things on this website every day and subsisting off of medieval food in our real lives. You can maybe guess where this is going. Game of Thrones fans shared the blog with each other, and the buzz caught on. Sarianne and Chelsea were in the right digital place at the right time, and their audience exploded in a way they could never have anticipated. And then, a shot in the dark. So Chelsea sent George a message on his live journal, (laughs) just kind of pointing him towards the website because we had been using his copyrighted content, so we just want you to know that we're doing this. And kind of jokingly mentioned, you know, if you ever wanted a cookbook, we're your girls. And he very seriously wrote back that he was meeting with his publicist on Wednesday of that week, and he would let us know how it went. Two weeks after that, we signed a contract with Random House. 
Sarianne kept working at the investment bank while writing the cookbook, sneaking in time when the office was quiet, as one does when one has a hobby that becomes a job. So the cookbook, called A Feast of Ice and Fire, came out, and sales were strong. Inspired by the success, she decided to take another chance. I figured that, well, this worked once, I might as well see how far I can make this go. And I took a month-long sabbatical for my investment banking job, and I took an internship at a pub in rural England, and I worked as an intern in the kitchen there and lived over the pub and subsisted on tips for a month. (laughs) And I didn't want to come home. She returned to Boston just long enough to complete a big project, sell most of her things, and quit the job at the bank. Three months later, she was back on the plane to England and a new start working in the kitchen of the pub where she interned. And I meet this head chef, David. I thought he hated me for the first few months. Spoiler, he didn't hate her. Quite the opposite, in fact. Yeah, so I was living in a village with 300 people. So like every night that I spent in the chef's house, people would like know. (laughs) When their jobs at the pub ended at the same time, they moved to Portland, Oregon, where they ran a successful, if illegal, supper club. From there, it was on to Scotland. In 2017, they settled in Richmond, Virginia to open up a place of their own. Their restaurant is called The Broken Tulip, and it was during dinner there a few weeks ago, a meal which featured a few of Sarianne's beloved historical recipes that I first heard their story. So, a book inspired a blog, which inspired a cookbook, which inspired a whole new career. And that's not all. Sarianne credits books she loved as a kid with sowing the seeds that made her willing to take such leaps. I mean, growing up, I I read the Tamara Pierce books like every six months. I would read all of the books that had been published. And they're also loosely medieval-based, a little bit more magical than the Game of Thrones, but kind of like a, a strong female lead character definitely influenced like being able to take chances and trusting myself and the world to support me in what I'm doing. And that definitely even influenced how this whole thing with Game of Thrones went. Like, I quit my job <laughs> to move to a new country. <laughs> To work as an intern, an unpaid intern. Like, yeah, it's it's all pretty magical. (laughs) Yay for books. Yeah, totally yay for books. (laughs) The stories we've heard so far are pretty dramatic, and books definitely have that kind of power. But sometimes the changes and discoveries they inspire are subtler, the kind that work their way from the outside in. When I began researching this episode, I asked Book Riot contributors for stories about times they were inspired to do something they read about in a book. They talked about the year of yes, about running ultra marathons after reading The Long Walk, being inspired by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler's memoirs to take improv classes, and even trying LSD after reading a novel in which it was prominently featured. And one of them talked about being inspired to try a new hobby that became so much more. Book Riot's own Patricia Elsie Tuttle. When uh, I was in grad school earning my master's in library and information science, I was taking a class on young adults, books, music, movies, and I had been wanting to read The Hunger Games, and so I actually managed to read The Hunger Games for grad school, and then the second book was out, and I waited and waited for the third book, Mockingjay, and I read that, and eventually, after I graduated with my library degree, I moved down to L.A., specifically to Pasadena, and my partner at the time 
had also read the Hunger Games books. And I said, you know, I'm really interested in learning archery. As luck would have it, Pasadena is home to the Pasadena Roving Archers, the longest-running outdoor field archery club in the United States, first established in 1935. And it was a mile from my apartment. With that kind of convenience, there's no excuse not to try, right? So on Saturday mornings, early in the morning, like 6.30 in the morning, if you show up, they'll give you a free archery lesson. So that's exactly what she did. And as soon as I picked up a bow and learned how to use it, it was a really easy learning curve for me. And I was like, wow, I, after my first lesson, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. Pretty soon, like every Saturday morning was out at the archery range. And even if I had a day off, I would go out to the archery range. So it's like every time I could squeeze in a little bit of archery time, I would. For someone who describes herself as only liking the outdoors when she's drinking on a patio, this love affair with an athletic activity couldn't have been more surprising. I'm typically not an athletic person anymore, so I wasn't expecting to pick it up so easily, but it all just clicked, like as soon as I had a bow in my hand, which was crazy to me. I didn't expect that at all. And as her archery skills developed, she noticed something else going on. When I'm doing archery, I can't think about anything else, right? You literally have a weapon in your hand. So I am completely focused on being present. Archery became a kind of meditation, and it opened up new ways of seeing herself, because the Hunger Games first opened up a new way of seeing something she had always been interested in. I think it was interesting. It never seemed something accessible to me. And literally until, even though I had read multiple books that had archery in them. It wasn't until the Hunger Games where I felt like this is something I want to know, but it never seemed accessible. Also, I am a woman of color. I'm black and typically archery is not something that falls within my community. There aren't a lot of black people who do archery and it's never something that came into my orbit, I guess. And then I was so surprised at how easy it happened for me at the time to find it and to fall in love with it so fast. And I was warned by the coaches that you either love it or you decide it's not for you. Like there's no in between. For Patricia, it's definitely love. She recently moved back to the Bay Area and can't wait to check out the local archery club there. And it just goes to show that when you sit down to start a new book, you really never know what adventures await. You can't even make up the set of circumstances that brought me here, but I think that's the magical thing. You know, that's what books do for us, right? This episode of Annotated was written and produced by me, Rebecca Shinsky. Sound editing and design by Kyle O'Neill. Special thanks to Mark Larrabee of the Pacific Crest Trail Association. His book, The Pacific Crest Trail, Exploring America's Wilderness Trail, is absolutely beautiful, and you can find it online. Learn more about the Pacific Crest Trail Association and how you can support their work at PCTA.org. Thanks also to Melissa Klug. Learn more about her Con Marie decluttering service at homeby11.com. Should you find yourself in or near Richmond, be sure to visit Sarianne's restaurant, The Broken Tulip. Find them online at thebrokentulip.com. And finally, thanks to Book Riot's own Patricia Elsie Tuttle. 
for sharing her story and to all the rioters who volunteered anecdotes as we researched this episode. You can follow Annotated on Instagram at Annotated FM. And if you love the show, please tell a friend about it and give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, read something great. <laughs>